What's going on, guys? Welcome back to The Control Room. I'm your host, Israel Johannes. Now, this has been the first week of the NBA, and we're about to break it all down from the Mavs' perspective. Um, they have three games played so far out of 82. Um, and with the way that my work schedule has been going, obviously, I'm not seeing all the Mavs games in real time because I'm not assigned to the team anymore. Um, however, whenever I am in the studio, I do get to see Mavs games as they're happening, even if I'm working on another show. So I have eyes on the game. And when I even don't have eyes on the game, um, I come home and I check out the highlights and uh, try my best to break down as best as I can what's important, what's not, and see what we can talk about in future episodes. So the first three games for the Mavs have been October 25th, opening night at the Spurs, uh, Victor Wembanyama's debut. It was a win for the Mavs by seven, um, and Luka and Kyrie Irving came in the clutch at the end of that game. We'll break that down. Um, the next game was the home opener, October 27th, versus the Brooklyn Nets, five-point win, where Luka went off for 49, a season high. Obviously, it's pretty early. Um, and then October 30th at Memphis, a 15-point win. Luka getting his second triple-double of the season already. And Derek Jones Jr. just going nuts out of nowhere from the starting lineup. So um, from a producer-slash-graphics-AP perspective, um, what we're looking for really is how do we tell the story of how the Mavs have started off in their season? Um, and so when you're this early, generally you start looking at trends from the past in terms of what did the Mavs do last season that they're doing much better now, or what did they do last season that is a continuing issue now? Um, so we're looking for the trends that compare between these two seasons. And from last week, the points of contention that I had were uh, that the Mavs needed to focus on their rebounding, three-point shooting, free throw percentage, second chance points, paint points, fast break points, and their clutch games. And so we'll go through um, how all those have either adjusted, been fixed, or more of the same. Um, and then an important factor when making these graphics, when trying to tell this story, is diagnosing the momentum of the game, right? If it's swinging to the opponent, then we got to be ready for, okay, um, what happened to the Mavs in that stretch? Like what happened in that run? Or when it goes the other way, when it goes the Mavs way, we say, um, how did they get on this run? What did they do that worked for them so well? Um, so the first thing we should figure out is what stood out in the first game between the Mavs and the Spurs. Um, and so the notable stats that I marked down for Dallas was that their rebounds, um, they had 48 and last season they averaged about 40 rebounds a game, which was at the near bottom, if not the bottom of the NBA. And they're already at a, um, at a higher number than they were last year in terms of their average. Um, the more interesting part is that they were plus three in the margin, despite the big guys of Victor Wimbanyama and Zach Collins and, 
and those guys. And then on the offensive boards, they had 13 of them, a plus four margin. Uh, so just goes to show there, they even break down, okay, where are they rebounding even better? Turns out on the offensive side of the ball, offensive rebounds produce second chance points, produces um, easy offense for your team and helps you win games. And so that's all connected, not only from last week, but from the topics that we're going to talk about um, today. Um, their two-point shooting, whenever it's over 60%, it's a big win. Their average was normally around 57%-ish um, last season. So if they can hit that mark or be around that mark or, or higher, it's good for them. So their two-point shooting was 61.5% in that first game. From the bench, they got a lot of production. They scored 47 points, which was 10 more than San Antonio's bench. Um, in the paint, they scored 56 points. 56 paint points. That's insane. And a lot of that has to do with Derek Lively um, coming off the bench in that game and producing really well inside. It was a plus 10 margin for the Mavs there as well. On the second chance points, they had 19, a lot for their uh, for their average. Um, which was plus 10 compared to the Spurs. And then on the fast break, they had 19. Um, San Antonio also had 19. However, the Mavs averaged 11 fast break points throughout the entirety of the season last year. So to have 19 in the first game means that they're taking a step in creating easy buckets in the fast break. Um, and then uh, on the turnover side, the Mavs were one of the best teams in terms of taking care of the ball last year um and this year it seems to be no different they started off in that first game with only 12 turnovers which was seven less seven fewer than san antonio's 19 and then their points off turnovers they really showed it where they had 18 points off of san antonio's 19 turnovers two more than the 16 points that san antonio had off of the Mavs 12 turnovers um and something that i like to keep a track of um is how many double-digit scores the Mavs have versus how many do their opponents have. Um, and so it was the first game this season with six plus, six or more double-digit scores. Uh, so the Mavs did have six. Normally, when they have six or more double-digit scores, they tend to win games. They have a really good win percentage, especially from last year. Five didn't seem to be enough, but somehow six was that sweet spot of, if they got to six double-digit scores, they seemed to do well in those games. Um, but there are always ways to improve. So let's look at some of the problems that I noticed um, from that first game. Um, the three-point rate was at 47.5%, and it's not always a bad thing to shoot a lot of threes, especially when you're making them. Um, it's just the same point of contention of when do these threes come into play and how efficient are you when you are taking them? So a lot of these threes um, came in the second half. So I'll break this down um, between the between the first and second half. In the first half, their three-point rate was 41.3%, um, and they shot 37% from three. And so that was healthy, right? So you were shooting well from three, 37% is good average. And you did have um, a sizable chunk of your field goal attempts come from beyond the arc. Um, however, it wasn't exorbitant. But then in the second half, over half of 
their attempts came from three, 52.8%, and they only shot 29% from three. So this is where the decision-making starts to come into play, where you've gone cold, but you're still shooting more of what you're not making. And that can lead to issues down the stretch where you're looking for a big splash. You're looking for something to get you out of this slump. And you can do it in many other ways. I had just mentioned that their two-point shooting throughout the game was 61.5%. They had options, but they kept shooting threes. Um, so it's just a matter of knowing when it's the right time to take it. And rather than just looking for the big splash, um, just using it in the facet of your offenses. If it creates an open three, great, take it. If it's just, I'm going to shoot a three because we can shoot threes, it can hurt you more than it can help you, especially if, you're, if you've gone cold. If you've gone hot, great. But if you're cold, sometimes there's always another way. Um, in the fourth quarter, it actually shot up compared to the entire second half. The fourth quarter rate... Uh, from three was 59.3%, and they shot 25% from three. This this alone is enough to say stop shooting threes, but what complements it is that they shot eight of 11, which was 72.7% from two in the fourth quarter. It's right there. Statistically, it is right there. You are making a lot of twos, you're missing a lot of threes, but you keep shooting a lot of threes. So you don't have to make it this hard. Now, when we get to the Memphis game, obviously that's going to change because they shot the lights out from three. Um, and so that's just the confidence that this team has. They know they can shoot from three. And so they do. However, if you get cold, don't let it cost you a game. Clearly that did not happen this time. And so good for them. Um, you want to you want to take as many wins as possible um, and then use these as learning opportunities. And so I'm not going to just you know bash on the Mavs this early in the season because they decide they're going to take a bunch of threes. It's just a matter of, okay, don't let this become a recurring habit. All right, just make sure that you're cognizant that you have other options and that you utilize them well. But we will talk about how they have improved elsewhere so that if they do seem to have, you know, issues with the three, they know that they have options that they can go to. Um, let's break down their th free throw attempts by the quarter because it actually went down throughout the game. They shot eight free throw attempts um, in the first quarter, six in the second, five in the third, and four in the fourth. Um, and that is a reflection on the fact that they did not go inside as often as they did earlier in the game. So when you drive to the basket, you draw a lot of fouls, uh, and then you get more free throws, and that's a lot easier to score than the other types of shots. Um, and so as that attempt number goes down, you start noticing, okay, it's mainly because their three-point attempts where they don't generate as many fouls is where their offense is coming from. Um, and it might have kept Victor Wembanyama in the game because they had him in foul trouble early, and that's why he didn't play as much throughout that game. Um, but they're going to play San Antonio four times a year. 
It's not going to be the first time they see Victor. Um, and they can try it again in, in his next go around. However, he's going to be more improved. He's going to be more experienced. Um, and so he might not fall for the same tricks again. He might, but he might not. Um, so you don't want to take those um, strategies for granted. Now, let's go through how Victor played in this game. He was limited to 23 minutes and 19 seconds, which means we have a 23-19. And he scored 15 points on six of nine field goals. Um, and from three, he shot three of five. Insane for a guy who's seven foot four. Um, had five rebounds, two assists, two steals, a block, but five turnovers. So he is a little raw. Um, and the Mavs did their best to contain him uh, as much as they could, but you cannot stop him. You can only hope to contain him, as Kevin Harlan would say. And mainly, I wonder what it's like, uh, what it would be like for the Mavs if Victor sees the floor for 30 minutes or more. If he's able to stay on the floor long enough because he doesn't commit as many fouls, how would he affect the game? Um, and so over time, he's going to learn how not to foul in the NBA, how to utilize his skill set to adjust to the NBA. And then the Mavs will have to deal with that adjustment. Um, and then just to compare it with every other starter for the Spurs, um, every other Spurs starter played at least 28 minutes, right? So there's a gap in terms of where all the other starters are and where Victor is. And that's clearly from foul trouble. When he cleans that up, that number is going to go up. Um, so that was a quick breakdown of the first game. Um, the Mavs got the win, so they'll take it, move on to the next. And that's what we'll do. So we're going to move on to the home opener versus Brooklyn. Um, and the notable stats I know I saw here for Dallas, they shot 15 of 36 uh, from three, which was 41.7%, even better than um, what they shot against San Antonio. It's also their second straight game shooting 15 threes. Um, so uh, for them, like they're just, they really are working on these threes and they're shooting the lights out. And so for them, hey, kudos. Um, they are in the top five in terms of percentage of points from three. Um, so they are still clinging to that identity that they are going to utilize and maximize the three, especially because the analytics will tell you based on the usage of you know, three point shots versus mid range versus paint and you know being right at the basket. Um, it's more advantageous to you offensively to utilize more of the three. So for them, they shot really well from three. So you got to give kudos to them. Brooklyn shot better. But the Mavs shot well. Um, and then from the free throw line, this was a big disparity. They drew so many fouls from Brooklyn. They, um, let's, see what, let's see what these margins are. The Mavs shot 22 for 28 from the free throw line. Brooklyn shot 9 for 10. That's a big disparity. The Mavs made 13 more free throws than Brooklyn. Than the Brooklyn Nets, and then they attempted 18, 18 more than the Nets. So I'll get to the foul number in a second, but 
I mean, when a team is rolling like that, free throws are some of the easiest shots that you can take, some of the easiest points that you can get. Um, and so they were, they needed almost every single one of these free throws to get them that win. They only won by five in this game. And that was because of a Luka takeover, right? However, they did get more production from their bench. And I don't have it here in my rundown, but I remember because I kept looking all the time. The bench scored a lot of points for Dallas throughout the entirety of last season. They were regarded as one of the most productive benches in the NBA. Um, and when Maxi went down, obviously that took a hit. Um, but this season, they seem to be coming right back with the bench is going to score. It doesn't matter who's starting, who's coming off. Whoever is hitting that floor is going to score. Um, and the whole team, uh, the whole team just scores a lot of points. They're tied for first in scoring with Sacramento. We'll get to that as well. Um, so from the bench, they scored 41 compared to Brooklyn's 27, a plus 14 margin. In the paint, the Mavs had a 50 to 42 advantage, plus eight. So again, they are utilizing the paint more than they had in the past. Um, and it's worked out for them because it's helping them win these games, which is what they need in case their threes don't go in and they need to win close games. So it's all starting to connect, take care of these little things, and suddenly your tight losses can become good clutch wins, right? They also kept themselves out of foul trouble. They committed 15 personal fouls, the Mavs did, compared to Brooklyn's 28. It was a plus 13 margin on the foul side. That might be frustrating looking at it from a Nets perspective, um, but based on the box score on the stat sheet, the Mavs, they, they just, especially Luka, they just drew Brooklyn everywhere and to the point where you had a foul here, a foul there, a foul there, especially late in the game where it would seem kind of ticky-tack where like Spencer Dinwiddie would come up on Josh Green and he would just slightly bump him. Even that would get called. Um, as you're running your offense um, throughout a game, you just have to know how the refs are going to call a game. And Luca knows that better than anyone. He tries to generate as many fouls as possible. Um, so, And we know his history with officials. Um, but you know, this time around, he and the Mavs as a whole have really found a way to get to the free throw line. Um, but I mean, this disparity, like they just did it so much better than Brooklyn. Um, they also kept their turnovers tight. They had only nine, um, compared to Brooklyn's 16. And then the Mavs had 16 points off turnovers, uh, which was three more than Brooklyn's 13 points off turnovers. And now let's get into some of the problems that came from this game. Um, Derek Lively only played about 17 minutes. It was his official... Uh, time was 16 minutes and 50 seconds. Um, and this wasn't like Victor's foul trouble or like Derek Lively's foul trouble that he had against Memphis in the third game. Um, this was this seemed more about scheme. I think Jason Kidd was just wanting to utilize a different lineup based on how Brooklyn uh, was throwing their guys out. And Brooklyn's construction 
after all of those trades last year, they seemed like a team full of 3 and D guys. And it's kind of more of the same with this roster. Um, and so that when they run the pick and roll, Derek Lively can find himself in drop coverage. And it's a little different than when you're doing the pick and roll, defending the pick and roll, and there's an actual center rather than dealing with Spencer Dinwiddie and Dorian Finney-Smith. That's a different combo. And so I think Jason Kidd was just trying to counterattack um, how they how the Nets were utilizing the pick and roll so that um, Derek Lively didn't get into no man's land um, because Spencer Dinwiddie is a mid-range shooter. However, um, they use the pick and roll more so at the top of the, maybe not at the top of the key, but more so outside um, rather than in the mid-range and then utilized um, their other options to get to the paint. Um, so they, they utilize more of the paint, more of the three-point uh, field goal attempts with the pick and roll. Um, but Derek Lively not being on the floor contributed to these things. Um, the rebounding was a minus seven margin. They only, the Mavs only had 40. Um, and so that's the disadvantage of not having a guy like Derek Lively II on the floor. The other guys that are on the floor, like Dwight Powell and Maxi Kleba, they should be able to handle rebounds. Um, but they were on the roster last year, and the Mavs were not good at rebounding. So that's the reason that Derek Lively is here. So when he's not on the floor, it it can be an issue in terms of finishing possessions defensively. And so they'll uh, have to figure out how to help him um, defensively with those kinds of schemes, keep him on the floor a lot longer. And that will allow him to then contribute in ways that no one else on that roster can. Um, And the other couple of problems that the Mavs had, this, uh, at least... This could also be contributed with uh, Lively. The Mavs only had 20 assists, which was 10 less than Brooklyn, and 10 fast break points, which was 10 less than Brooklyn as well. And so again, assists and fast break points, that can lead to a lot of alley-oops to Derek Lively. Those can be contributed there. It doesn't always have to be that way. It's just another thing to look at. The Mavs didn't share the ball as well. They probably they played a little bit more iso ball, especially Luka down the stretch. He took on whatever defender he had and played his game. That's also something to keep in mind is that when he plays his game, sometimes it's not as simple as everyone's going to move around and be like a golden state and cut off the ball or, or post up like Denver. Um, Luke is going to draw defenders. If he wants to shoot, he'll shoot. If he wants to pass, he'll pass. And then whatever happens ends up happening. Um, but that slows the game down. And so there's no contribution to the, fa- to the fast break at that point. Um, Derek Lively in this game against Brooklyn scored nine points on four of four field goals with a block and zero fouls. So he was productive on the, for the time that he was on the floor. It's a good sign. Um, he just wasn't on the floor long enough. And so that would get, they would attempt to rectify it in the next game. We'll talk about why that didn't exactly happen. Um, it was the second straight game allowing seven or more double-digit scores for the Mavs. So Brooklyn had seven, and the Mavs tended to lose games 
when they allowed seven or more. I mean, that's 70 plus points off of these guys in balanced scoring and that you really have to respect how all of them were playing. Um, but they made it out in the clutch because Luca just shot four threes out of nowhere. He had a career high nine three pointers made career high nine. And the last one was a sky hook that I haven't seen since NBA live 06. So, I mean, just shout out to Luka Doncic, man. Um, and then Cam Thomas from Brooklyn had three straight games. He has three straight games. Now um, I'm recording this after the conclusion of um, all the games from October 31st. So as of now, Cam Thomas has three straight games with 30 plus points to start the season. Um, and his most recent win was the win against the Hornets. Um, so this game against the Mavericks was one of those 30-point games where he tied it at 120, and then Luka hit that skyhook three to get it to 123-120 and eventually iced the game um, with Josh Green's free throws after that. Um, so for the Mavs, you know, there's some things to clean up, but they are winning games, and there's nothing more that matters than them winning these games. Um, you just don't want these things to flare up, and then when they have a situation where, let's say, the threes aren't working or the free throws aren't working or they're just not rebounding, they can clean it up elsewhere. Uh, you, you just don't want a situation where everything isn't working and then they lose by 30. Or they might lose by five and they'll say, oh, we could have just made more free throws or, oh, we could have just gotten a couple more rebounds or, oh, we could have just cleaned one or two of these things up. So for them, they're off to a great start. This is a great start. It's a much bigger improvement than what I was expecting from, um, from how this roster was put together. Um, mainly because... All three of these games were in the clutch, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. Uh, so lots of teasing, but we got we got plenty more coming up. All right, let's go over the third game. Um, Kyrie Irving was out with a left foot sprain, so it's just Luca and crew. Um, although that crew knows how to play ball, right? So let's talk about the most notable stat for Dallas in this game. They shot 23 of 47 from three that was 48.9 percent that's stupid high that's amazing uh in the first quarter they shot eight of 15 second quarter seven of 11 third quarter four of 11 and in the fourth quarter four of 10 so they just they were lights out they're 23 threes um ties the fifth most in a game in dallas uh, mavericks history um, and it's their, their most ever is 25, which they, uh, they had had previously, but then they tied it against Philadelphia in March of last season. Um, but when your lights out like that, I can't say anything. I really can't say anything. I mean, these, you make 23 threes and you do it on that level of shooting 48.9%. Don't even worry about it. Just keep chucking it, all right? So let's go over to the other stats that they had in this game. Um, they brought back up their rebounding. So they had 48 rebounds, which is a plus four margin. Um, now, remember, this is against Memphis, who last week I said 
was one of the better rebounding teams in the league last season. The reason why they're not doing so well, especially against the Mavericks when it comes to rebounding, is because of the injuries to Steven Adams and Brandon Clark, right? Steven Adams is now out for the season with a, with a knee injury, and Brandon Clark is still recovering from his Achilles injury that he had at the end of last season. So you have two of your big guys out. Xavier Tillman is your starting center. Jaron Jackson Jr. is your starting power forward. And so those two guys are basically leading the charge on the rebounding effort. But it's not the same as when you have that gigantic front court available to you at a constant rotation. So they are showing deficiencies there. And the Mavericks took advantage. Um, and then the Mavs had 24 assists, some plus two margin. But, you know, for them, 24, not a bad number. Uh, I think for uh, how their offense is moving obviously with Kyrie being out the pace was um the pace is going to be just a little bit slower but 24 assists it's an okay number uh bench points 39 again continuing the trend of how well the Mavs ha- um score with their bench players um interesting note it was plus 26 <laughs> the Memphis bench only produced 13 points they really leaned on their three-headed monster of this specific lineup of um, Desmond Bain, Jaron Jackson Jr., and Marcus Smart. They really led the scoring between, you know, or at least the majority of the scoring for Memphis. Um, and the production elsewhere, I mean, it helped out. However, it just wasn't enough. The, Maver- the Mavericks were able to pull away and win by 15. Um, so... They they did get tight. It did get into clutch time with about five minutes to go. It was a four-point game by the time the five-minute mark hit. Um, but at this point, the Mavs have been there. They've been there and done that when it comes to clutch games. And considering Memphis is not at full strength, obviously this will be a different story when we get further down the line and John Morant comes back from his 25-game suspension. Um Later in the season, when Brandon Clark comes back and he's healthy, this will be a different team. They will have a um, a different outlook on how the season is going, and they will improve where these deficiencies are. And so that will be a different kind of matchup once those guys are back. Um, for now, we'll take this win. I say we. The Mavs will take this win. Um, interesting note about their blocks. They somehow blocked seven shots three more than Memphis. It was, um, let's talk about how many blocks, how many games they had with seven blocks or more last season. They had nine of them. It's already game three and they already have seven blocks. Uh, so what, (laughs) um, this might be a precursor to what's coming. We might have more games like this, um, where we see the Mavs play well defensively. Um, and finish off defensive possessions with blocks and rebounds in ways that they couldn't before. And it's going to be a collective effort. I mean, they they have big guys. They had Derek Lively. They have Derek Jones Jr. They, they have bigger guys now. Um, and it's not like Maxi can't get a block either. Um, it's you got multiple guys that are capable of blocking. They just happen to have seven, and that's a lot for a small team ish team um so 
good note to hang uh, to hang their hat on. Hardaway, Tim Hardaway Jr. had 21 points. I just wanted to put that in there. That's Hemi Hardaway. Um, he was not in the starting lineup. He was part of that bench that scored 39. So of those 39 points, his 21 made up for a lot of that. Um, however, the other 18 came from other players. Um, I'm actually looking at the box score right now. And you know, of the bench, besides Hardaway, you got Maxi with seven. Seth had uh, a three. Uh, Jaden Hardy had six points. And Dante Exum, a uh, new, sign, uh, new signing, had two. So there were plenty of great options from the bench. It wasn't even everybody, but that was just the guys that came off the bench. So kudos to them. Um, problems for the Mavs in this specific game in the paint, they had a bit of an issue and Jaron Jackson Jr. and Xavier Tillman primarily score in the paint. So they are more likely to outscore you, especially when Derek Lively only plays, um, a certain amount of minutes in a game because of foul trouble, right? So in the paint, um, Dallas scored only 34 points, which was 18 less than Memphis's 52, um, the Mavs also uncharacteristically had 15 turnovers, three more than Memphis. Um, and then that created a points off turnover disparity for the Mavs. Uh, it was only minus five, but they only had 11 points off turnovers. And then they only had four steals, which somehow Memphis stole the ball nine times, nine times. Um, so that, that led to a lot of their turnovers. I mean, Memphis plays a level of defense that is somewhat old school. And even though Dylan Brooks is not there anymore, they're still hard-nosed. They still are gritty. They're, they'll still find a way to get that ball out of your hands. And so that, that showed up in the stat sheet. It was important to note, considering how well the Mavs take care of the ball. Um Derek Lively's five fouls forced him to only play 13 minutes and 38 seconds, and that led to a lot of the deficiencies that um, showed in these negative margins. Um, and so that's something that Derek Lively is going to just have to figure out, okay, how do I – same thing with Victor Wembanyama. How am I going to foul? How am I not going to foul? How is this game going to get called? What's a better way to force a shot um, from an uncomfortable position and all that stuff? Um, so just a learning curve for this rookie. Again, the rookies, they'll figure it out. They're talented enough. They'll get through it. Um, and so for Derek Lively, he's showcased his defensive um, and rebounding presence. Uh, all the things that I've talked about up until this point, he's the anchor. He, he's been um, compared to not just by me, but by plenty of other people before me as the next coming of Tyson Chandler. Um, and so as he molds into this role, as he gets better in this role, um, it's going to be more consistent, more reliable. And, you know, for, for him right now, he's still raw, but he's shown that talent. He, he can show, he has shown that he can do it. Um, He's flashed his abilities. He's had he's already had a double double. Um, 
So for him, it's just a matter of putting in the work and getting better every day. And so it'll show itself just like for Jaden Hardy over time, it will show and he'll be much better at the end of the season compared to the beginning. Uh, let's go through what Luka Doncic did over these three games. He has three straight 30-point games to start the season. Um, and then that second game was a 49-point game. Um, last season, he started 2022-2023 with a nine-game streak of 30 points or more in each game. Will he hit that mark? I don't know, but... I mean, never say never. Um, he has two triple-doubles in his first three games this season, and in his career, he has 58. Um, one more triple-double will tie him with Larry Bird on the all-time list. Um, so, hats off. I mean, the next game he's got is against the Bulls on November 1st, and it can happen as soon as Wednesday. It could happen later. I mean... We don't know with this guy. He's, he's a triple-double machine. And um, another important note, his first triple-double this season was against San Antonio, and it was his fifth career triple-double against San Antonio, which is the most for Luca against any team. Um, the next most is four, and then and three. He's got plenty of triple-doubles against almost every franchise at this point. But he has the most against San Antonio. And of course, again, he plays them four times a year. He's more likely to do that to them compared to others that he only sees maybe twice a year. Um, and then in these three games, he's either led or tied for the lead for both teams in points, rebounds, and assists. Um, and, they're all the, and they're all in the clutch. It's not like he's stat padding. He's just great. He's a superstar. He's A lot of people's choices for MVP. So that's how an MVP would play. Let's go over the Mavs results and their offense versus their defense. Um, so in their first three games, they're 3 0. It's the first time since 2004, 2005. They've also hit 23 pointers made in a game by game three of this season. Remember last week I mentioned that they had 10 such games of 20 or more threes. Um, and, you know, at this point, they're kind of on pace for, ooh, what's the number? <laughs> A lot? <laughs> they're, they're pretty much on pace for 27 of these games that obviously that's not going to happen, but it's more likely that they'll hit 10 games, maybe even break that record of um, 11 games, or at least the second most in franchise history of 11 games. Um, but they will look more like the golden state or the Boston of last season where golden state had 19 and Boston had 17. They're more likely to hit 15 based on how well they shot from three. We'll see how long they can keep it up. Um, and then I did mention previously, but I'll say it again. The Mavs are tied for first in the NBA in scoring with Sacramento at 125.3 points per game. Um, the Mavs also have the highest offensive rating in the NBA, and that's mainly 
points per game divided by possessions. Um, and, or excuse me, that's not what it is. Offensive rating is points per 100 possessions. Um, and so some teams will have a higher offensive rating than their, than the actual points scored. And for others, it'll be the other way around. And that's mainly determined off of that pace. That's how many possessions you have in a game. So the reason that their offensive rating, which is 121.3, is a lower number than their points scored, which is 125.3, is because they have a faster pace. Finally, they have the sixth fastest pace in the NBA this season at 103.67 possessions. Um per game. Remember, they had the third slowest all of last season, but even Luca has now picked up the pace. It's not just when Luca's off the floor. It's when Luca's on the floor too. They are pushing the ball up and down the court, and it's contributing to their improvement in the fast break points uh, and in getting easier buckets. And by the end of the game, the result is showing in the box score. They might win by five, but some of those points came off of the fast break that they did all the way back in the first quarter. That's why these things matter. Um, they're allowing, the Mavs are allowing the eighth highest points per game to opponents at 116.3. But when you're, when you're scoring 125.3, who cares, right? Uh, okay. Maybe, maybe not. Um, Defensively, 116 points. Obviously, this margin is a good margin considering how much faster you're playing. You are going to give up more points on the defensive side of the ball when there are more possessions. That's that's just how the numbers work. Um, but when it it will really show for the, uh, for the Mavs that they're really good defensively when their net rating is one of the best in the league, not just their offensive rating. If they can get their net rating up into the top five, then it's going to show that their defense is really tough to beat. So, again, let's go through the other ways to score. Second chance points, points in the paint, fast break points. We're going to talk about how far, how, how much they're scoring right now compared to where they were last season. Um, and the second chance points... The Mavs are averaging 14, and that's tied for 13th in the NBA compared to last season at 10.9, which was 29th. Bigger improvement, giving them all these different margins as I get through these next three or these next two. Um, you'll see how many extra points this is for the Mavs. Points in the paint, the Mavs are now averaging 46.7 points this season, which is uh, 23rd in the NBA compared to 42.8 in last season, which was last in the NBA. And then on the fast break, they're averaging 14.0 fast break points, 17th in the NBA, compared to last season's 11 fast break points, which was 29th in the NBA. Now, that's a lot of numbers I've just thrown at you, but the margins here are uh, 3.1, or plus 3.1 in second chance, plus 3.9 in points in the paint and plus three in the fast break. So we're talking about 10 
extra points per game generated off of these three improvements. And that's the difference between them, between the Mavs being where they were last year to being as uh, high in scoring as the Boston Celtics. So again, as I said last week, these little things, they really matter. The margins matter and they they dictate the results of games. And they're doing it and it's fun to see because it's showing up in these wins. And so when you add all this together, then it comes down to clutch game execution. So let's go through their clutch games. They went 3-0 in their first three clutch games of the season. And it's the fifth time in franchise history. Here we go again. Um, this stat... These stats that um, are involved in this calculation are only available since 1996, 1997. So that's as far back as this can go. But it's the fifth time since 96, 97 um, that the Mavs started 3-0 in their first three clutch games, no matter when those clutch games happened in the season, as long as it was their first three. The previous time, or the last time was 2021, 2022, so pretty recent. But before that was 2004. 2005. Now, the Mavs are 3-0 in their first three games that also happened to be clutch games this season. That's a different statistic, right? It literally means their first three games of on, like, on the schedule ended up being clutch games, and they won all three of them. The last time that's happened, um, this, is, this is the second time in franchise history, since 96, 97. So the last time that that's happened was 1997, 1998. So this is a bit more rare that the Mavs find themselves in the clutch early on in the season, this early in the season, this frequently, and yet they execute well. It's a big, big boost, especially when you look at the playoff schedule or the playoff bracket and seeds are determined by one or two games these three games here, executing early on means you don't have to do it later, or it means you have a leg up on the other teams that are trying to catch you at the end of the season. So all these things are going to matter as we get closer to March and April when we really get into this playoff push post-All-Star break. Um, and then as a reminder, <laughs> last season they lost eight of their nine, eight of their last nine clutch games, um, including seven straight. And so this is a complete turnaround. Um, having to deal with all of those clutch losses at the at, right in their hands at the end of last season, and it's just wiped out. Clean slate, 3-0 to start the season. So this is a complete turnaround, um, and it's only uh, a matter of time before we find out, can they keep it up? So let's look at the next two matchups for the Mavs. They have um, the Bulls. They are going to be at home at American Airlines Center against the Bulls. Um, and then they'll be on the road against Denver. So let's talk about this Bulls matchup on Wednesday, November 1st. Um, let's go over the first, or at least the two games that the Mavs had against Chicago last year. In the first game, um, this was a... You might not remember how the schedule was playing out, but there was a game against Milwaukee that tipped off very late because of the way that it was scheduled um, in the simulcast because we had a Bally Sports broadcast on Bally Sports Southwest and ESPN was also broadcasting the game. 
So you had a nine o'clock tip for Milwaukee, Dallas, and then the Mavs had to fly from Dallas to Chicago and play a game that was tipping off less than 24 hours after that Milwaukee game even started. So Luka was already dealing with an injury. I believe it was a quad injury at the time. Um, He didn't even travel with the team for that game. So he did not play. And then in the second game, the Mavs and the Bulls were wanting the 10th spot in the draft, but they were also in the play-in conversation. The Bulls were pretty much already the 10th spot, so they were going to play in the play-in regardless. The Mavs could have potentially gotten closer to a play-in spot. However, Destiny was not on their side at this point. So they just did not win the game, um, and the NBA found that suspicious. So they fined the Mavs $750,000 for what happened in that game. Luka did play, but only in the first quarter, and it was only because it was Slovenian night, even though he wanted to play in those games, and so did Kyrie. Um, But that pick um, eventually turned into Derek Lively the second. And so, you know, sometimes Mark Cuban will just be like, screw it, give me that fine, see what happens. Um, So let's go through the priorities of the Bulls in terms of how they run their offense, right? So Chicago is not much of a three-point shooting team. Their three-point rate this season is 33.8%, which is the second lowest in the NBA. Last year, it was 33.3%, and that was also the second lowest in the NBA. They don't utilize the three as often as many other teams do. Um, In the paint, they uh, at least outside of the restricted area, they attempted 14.8 field goal attempts this season. Um, So of their four games so far. That's how many they've attempted, and it's the ninth fewest in the NBA. So they also don't utilize the paint as much unless they're in the restricted area. Um, And last season, it was actually lower. It was 13 field goal attempts per game in the paint, which was the second fewest in the NBA. So why is that? Why does Brooklyn not use the paint in that regard? Why do they not use the three in that regard? It's mainly because of their roster construction. Um, so the guys that you have there, DeMar DeRozan, Zach Levine, they prefer the mid-range. So their highest priorities here are they attempt 17.3 field goal attempts this season from mid-range, and that's the most in the NBA. Last season, similar story, 17.8, uh, also the most in the NBA. This year... Um, the Bulls score 12.3% of their points from the mid-range. Now, it doesn't seem like a lot, but that's like out of, you know, out of, all these, out of 100 points, that's about 12 or so that just come from the mid-range. So that's six mid-range shots um, per game. And it can easily come from, you know, DeMar just on a pick and roll, coming inside the zone, maybe even being open, um, Billy Donovan calling a certain play, maybe a horns type of play and getting one guy open on the elbow and getting a shot from there. But outside of getting 
deep in the paint, like in the restricted area, um, they do utilize the mid-range more than most teams um, in the last couple of years. So they're probably going to use that more often. Um, another thing to keep in mind is that Chicago has 17.8 second chance points per game this season, and that's tied for fourth in the NBA. Um, so it's just something to look for. Andre Drummond's a big presence, and they can get offensive rebounds. They can score a lot of points in the second chance, so you have to be diligent on the defensive side of the ball and eliminate their ability to get putbacks on you. Um, so an interesting thing. Now, I, I mentioned briefly that Derek Lively was dealing with pick-and-roll uh, drop coverage against the Nets, uh, where he would kind of sit back and then let uh, that way he didn't get blown by the point guard in the pick and roll. Um, but it also opens up the mid range. And so when you allow a drop coverage defense, when, when you're on the defensive side of the ball and you decide to use drop coverage for your pick and roll defense for mid range guys, Really, your only saving grace is whether or not they make the shot because you're basically leaving them open. Um, so it's with DeMar DeRozan, with Zach Levine, um, they they have to deal with, or at least Derek, guys like Derek Lively have to deal with, okay, how am I going to defend these guys? Um, if they are knocking down mid-range shots, do I have to come up a little bit closer? What happens if I do? Are they going to cut to the basket? Um, so it's going to be a work in progress as the game goes on. Uh, but I would not be surprised if Derek Lively also finds himself with limited minutes in this game against the Bulls just because of how they could attack him in that type of, um, in that type of coverage. Um, but that... Again, will all be it will all be determined based on how well they're shooting it. Because if they're shooting poorly, that's fine. It's not working. Um, so then with the Mavs, for them, on the pick and roll, um, the Mavs have 14.3 screen assists per game. And how NBA.com um, define screen assists is mainly just like assists off of screens. And so they, that tends to be off of the pick and roll. Um, and it's the second most in the NBA. So you can expect when you have a guy like Derek Lively, yeah, he's going to have to go up against Andre Drummond. But if you can, if you can really get that pick and roll working, um, and it's not just Lively, it can also be Dwight Powell. Um, it can also be Maxi, depending on how it's moving, how they're moving around. Um, Dallas can find some success. Um, they can find some success with, with how Chicago plays defense based on how they're going to run this pick and roll. Um, so that's going to be something that they can, or at least the Mavs can exploit. Now, if Chicago's defense starts to tighten up and the answers aren't there and the Mavs have to start going to more isolation, then so be it. But, um, the Mavs have shown that they are effective in the pick and roll. They do um, have a lot of assists off the screens. Um, lots of good alley-oops to Derek Lively. He's not the only one, but they have they have more offensive options now than they did even last year. 
Um, so this will be a different matchup, especially with everyone playing for a whole game. Um, a couple of things to note about Chicago, especially in the pick and roll. Chicago defensively has 20.3 deflections per game, which is second most in the NBA. So it's not going to be all, you know, it's not going to be all sweet for the Mavs. They do have to deal with the long arms of the Bulls. And if they can find a way to get around those deflections, maybe maybe take care of the ball a little bit more, um, a little bit more than they did against Memphis, then they can kind of get by these deflections. But um, it's something that they'll have to, you know, it'll be on the scouting report. They'll have to mark, okay, I got to get around these arms. If I, uh, and if I can't, then I'll have to make an adjustment. And then... For the Bulls as well, um, from the pick and roll ball handler, so not necessarily the guy setting the screen, but the guy actually moving around the screen, um, they have a frequency of 21.6%, meaning 21.6% of their play types are in the pick and roll uh, from the ball handler. It's the fourth highest in the NBA, and they score 19.8 points per game. Um from that position, um, and that's the sixth most in the NBA. So they are effective um, when they utilize the pick and roll. And so I can just think of Andre Drummond coming up, setting the screen, DeMar DeRozan coming off, and then seeing drop coverage and then taking a mid-range. And so all of these statistical factors start to blend together, and then you start seeing, okay, there, there are things that Chicago is probably going to do. So it's, it's time to buckle down and get prepared for it maybe find an adjustment to it, maybe stop it entirely. Uh, but at least they know what they've got going up against them. They're more of a mid-range team. Um, and so for injury reports, Zach Levine is considered, at least last I checked, Zach Levine is considered probable with a back injury. Um, and then Kyrie Irving is still questionable with that foot sprain. I'm not exactly sure if he's going to play, considering it is a foot sprain. It's not like he or Devin Booker is back yet. So, um, But he's listed as questionable, and he's day-to-day. Um, but Levine is probable. Now let's go through the Mavs and Nuggets. For the Nuggets, they have a more balanced offense. Obviously, they don't lean to the three. They don't lean inside. They don't lean to the mid-range. They, they do everything pretty pretty well um an interesting thing though is that their frequency to post up is eight and a half percent which is the which happens to be the highest in the nba but all that has to do with nikola Jokic, um and Jokic averages 26 and a half points 12.3 rebounds eight and a half assists just this season um leads denver in all three categories um, he has 107 career triple doubles in case you haven't caught up with how many triple doubles he has. And he's tied LeBron James and Jason Kidd for fourth all time. And uh, Denver is now 4-0 to start the season. And they're starting five. <laughs> Jamal Murray, Kentavious Caldwell-Pope, Michael Porter Jr., Aaron Gordon, and Nikola Jokic himself. I mean, that's a hard team to take down. I know that there's been a little bit of turnover from that championship team. But at full strength, this team is tough. They're tough. Um, 
with their balance, the Mavs have to be really diligent. Now, it's not like the Mavs haven't beaten them before. They can do it again, but that's going to be a much tougher task than, say, a Chicago. Um, and that game is going to be an in-season tournament game for both teams, um, which, guess what? We're going to get into right now. So let me just make sure that I have everything ready for that. Um, and I will do my best to explain this convoluted tournament system, but um, you will know what you need to know in terms of following along with what's about to happen. Um, so the Mavs-Nuggets game on Friday, November 3rd, is the first group play game for the West B group. All 30 teams are in groups of five. So there are six groups of five. The West has three groups. The East has three groups. And so Dallas's group is group B, or at least West B. And out of all 30 teams, eight of them will advance the knockout rounds. And of those eight, um, six of them are the winners of each group. So three from the East and three from the West. And then two wildcard winners, which is the best overall record um, within group play of the other remaining teams per, co per conference. So best in the West, best in the East of everyone left. And so then regular season games will get scheduled for teams based on the knockout result. So if you're out before December 6th, then you will have a regular season game scheduled against other losers of the knockout um, on the 6th and on the 8th. Um, if you make it to the uh, to the next round and you play an in-season tournament game on the 6th, then uh, let's say you lose on the 6th, well, then you'll have a regular season game scheduled for the 8th. Um, but the in-season tournament final in Vegas does not count toward the regular season. So that will be an 83rd game played by two teams only, and it's mainly for prizes and bragging rights and a nice looking trophy. Um, but given the, the rising popularity of soccer, um, the, uh, the, the WNBA has their own version of this. Um, this is some way to kind of provide more value to the regular season. Um, and to make it a little bit more exciting. I mean, we're coming up into, by the time this is all said and done, It'll, it'll be mid-December, and so the NFL will start being on their playoff push, but um, the NBA won't be about two and a half months before all, all focus is shifted to basketball and hockey for some people. Um, but this, this is one way to kind of really heighten um, the popularity of the league in a window where it may not be so popular. Um, so, I mean, all of this is, most of it is going to take place after the World Series, so baseball will already be over, but it's mainly football that's taking the attention. Um, but these games are going to be played on Tuesday and Friday, so they're not going to interfere with college football or with NFL football, or most college football, um, but definitely not NFL football. So let's go through the Mavs in-season tournament group, which is West B. Their four matchups are on Friday, November 3rd at the Nuggets at 9 p.m. Central. Then Friday, November 10th versus the Clippers at 7.30 p.m. Central. And then their next game will be Tuesday, November 14th at the New Orleans Pelicans 
at 7 p.m. Central. And then their fourth and final in-season tournament group game will be Tuesday, November 28th, which is two weeks later, versus the Houston Rockets at 7.30 p.m. Central. Um, so just so you're aware of who is all where, I'll just briefly mention who is where. So in West B, you have the Mavs, the Nuggets, the Pelicans, the Clippers, and the Rockets. Those five teams all in West B. And then in West A, you have the Memphis Grizzlies, the Phoenix Suns, Los Angeles Lakers, Utah Jazz, and the Portland Trailblazers. And then in West C, Sacramento Kings, Golden State Warriors, Minnesota Timberwolves, Oklahoma City Thunder, and the San Antonio Spurs. So those are all your West teams segmented into three groups of five. And then on the East side, in East A, you have the Philadelphia 76ers, Cleveland Cavaliers, Atlanta Hawks, Indiana Pacers, and Detroit Pistons. And then in East B, you have the Milwaukee Bucks, New York Knicks, Miami Heat, Washington Wizards, and the Charlotte Hornets. And then in East C, you have the Boston Celtics, the Brooklyn Nets, Toronto Raptors, Chicago Bulls, and the Orlando Magic. So clearly they're not split by division. They had a diff- the, the NBA had a different type of um, drawing to randomly group these teams together. Um, so this is how they've been set up, and this is how it's going to go for the next month. Um, and once group play is over, then we'll figure out, okay, Who's going to be where on the bracket based on how these games go? So Friday is going to be an important game for uh, both the Mavs and the Nuggets um, when it comes into where they'll end stack up in the in-season tournament bracket. All right. Last but not least, let's tease what's coming up next. At least next week. Next week we'll go over a recap of Week Two. Um, I'm scheduled to work more Pelicans games this upcoming week, so I might do some more um, Pelicans-related analyzing. So I'll do my best to look at all the Mavs stuff that comes through. Um, I do have the Mavs-Nuggets game on Valley Sports Southwest, and so I'll get a really good look at that one. so it'll have a bit of, it'll have a bit of maps. It'll have some pelicans, um, but it's going to be a week two recap. And then, remember, I did mention uh, just a couple minutes ago, the Mavs will play the Clippers for a uh, for an in season tournament game, um, and so that means that we got to talk about the James Harden trade. I'm not going to break it down just yet. In the next episode, um, we'll break down everything that went through in this trade um, that basically happened overnight. Um, And then it'll be a setup for the Clippers Mavs um, in West B for the following week. Um, Now, can't forget to shout out the Texas Rangers. They are now three and one in the World Series going into game five. Um, By the time you see this, the World Series might be over or it might be extended. Depends on how well both these teams play. Um, but I get to work the Bally Sports Southwest post-game show for Game 5 as a Viz operator, as a graphics operator. So I will be working that 
while also trying to keep up with everything basketball related. Um, but you know, fingers crossed, but right now we've been, we, the Rangers have been there before at three games. So everyone is just holding their collective breaths when it comes to the world series. It is not over yet. They have one more to get and having Bruce Bochy at the helm is going to be the difference when it comes to this team. I, I believe they will get it done. They just have to execute. And then the Cowboys beat the brakes off the Rams, um, 43 to 20. So they are now five and two. They have a matchup coming up against the Philadelphia Eagles at Lincoln financial field. Um, it's a lot of conversation about how, you know, Dak's performance is, and I'm not going to get into all of the, how the media kind of portrays the Cowboys and all that stuff. It's just high expectations. Uh, speaking personally from someone who has not been alive to witness an NFC championship game that features the Dallas Cowboys. Um, the expectations are just high like that. This is America's team. And when that's been built year on year, year over year, over year, over year, especially for someone who's not from this community, it's hard to, uh, understand having that expectation all the time and then failing to meet it all the time. And it's, and it's compounding on itself. But, um, you know, every year the Cowboys seem a lot of the years, the Cowboys seem to have the talent. It's a matter of execution point blank. I'm not an NFL athlete. Never will be. I will not compare myself to any of those guys. Um, but that's, that's the expectation of the Dallas Cowboys. And so, um, you know, I'm constantly rooting for them being five and two. That's a great place to be. I'd rather be that than two and five. Um, so hats off to them and can't wait to see this Cowboys Eagles game. Um, now for all of our tip offs that are happening in the NBA, uh, there's going to be some simulcasts happening. So if you are in the market, you'll have to look. It might not be blacked out. If it is blacked out on a national network, you'll have to look at it in your regional network. But if it is not blacked out, you have the freedom to look everywhere. It's just a matter of how it's scheduled with the NBA. Um, but I will tell you where you can find any of these games. So the Pelicans and the Thunder will tip off Wednesday, November 1st at 7.30 Eastern, 6.30 Central on ESPN, Valley Sports New Orleans, and Valley Sports Oklahoma. The Clippers and the Lakers will be Wednesday, November 1st at 10 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Pacific on ESPN. So someone like me is out of that market. I'll probably watch that game on ESPN if I have the free time. Um, and then the Mavs and the Nuggets will play Friday, November 3rd at 10 p.m. Eastern, 9 p.m. Central, on also on ESPN, Valley Sports Southwest, and Altitude Sports, which is Denver's local market. Um so that is a simulcast, and so I will get to work that game, but obviously not for ESPN, but for Valley Sports Southwest. And then strictly local, um, the Detroit Pistons will play the New Orleans Pelicans on Thursday, November 2nd at 8, 7 Central on Valley Sports Detroit and Valley Sports New Orleans. And then the Warriors and the Thunder will tip off Friday, November 3rd at 8, 7 Central um, on NBC Sports Bay Area and Valley Sports Oklahoma. So that is it for me today. Um, I will 
See you next week. Thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. Um, this is The Control Room, and I'm your host, Israel Johannes, signing off.